Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them, or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast, or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. This week we're starting out with a podcast called Criminal. It's a pretty popular podcast. It's one of the most popular true crime podcasts out there. Uh, It is part of the Radiotopia Network, similar to 99% Invisible, and it's hosted by Phoebe Judge. The recordings are done out of, well, up until the COVID pandemic, they were done out of a, a public radio station in North Carolina. I think WUNC. But I think during the pandemic, they've been recording kind of remotely. They're not really traveling for the recordings as much as they might have done in the past. It's a highly produced podcast in the sense that it has very professional sound. It is uh, very, very public radio <laughs> is a way to describe it. And it is a true crime podcast, but the there is no particular theme to the true crime so it's not just serial killers or it's not just murders or it can range from an episode about the theft of a famous celebrity poodle to an episode about a specific murder out in the middle of nowhere that you may never heard of so it has a really really broad range and I think part of the attraction of this podcast is the host Phoebe Judge she has a very soothing kind of voice she's an incredible host from a just an audio perspective And I've been listening to this series for a while. I think most people who are kind of into podcasts have at least heard of this podcast. It's it's one of the more popular true crime podcasts. And so I suggested this one for us to review. I've been listening to it, I'd say a couple of years now, probably on and off. There's a few episodes I've probably missed along the way, but I I do try to catch every episode if I can. Um, This one's new for you. So what episodes did you listen to kind of going into this one? So I listened to episode 153, the Max Headroom incident, because I'm actually kind of familiar with that. It's it's, it's a crazy story. And uh, <laughs> and episode 87, which is Casper, Wyoming, dealing with a, a murder of a woman in Casper, Wyoming, and how it kind of shook the town and kind of the downstream effects of that. And uh, it, I, I'll agree with your point that she comes off very professional. It's almost like it, it sounds like she's a journalist. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm assuming podcasting is probably her her day job, based on the number of sponsors that she has. But I do feel like she comes off very like a journalist, right? She's just saying, "Okay, here's the story. Let me read it to you. It's very fact based. It's very straightforward." And she does throw in mixed media, which I, I appreciate. Uh, it could be audio clips or quotes from like maybe other documentaries or something. Or she actually does her own interviews. So I know, like in the Max Headroom incident in Casper, Wyoming. In those episodes, she actually interviewed people who were involved in those cases, which I do like seeing that. And the the interview is not really about, very rarely do you actually hear her ask the question. It's usually she'll have the podcast, she'll be talking about the subject, and then she throws in the quote. And I was like, I actually had a note on here. I'm like, where is she getting these, these sound bites from? And then there was one instance where she did kind of ask a question directly to him, and you realize, oh, okay, she's actually interviewing these people. So she doesn't interject mm-hmm. herself in the inter- interview at all. So, and like you said, it's very public broadcasting kind of material. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not super passionate, or you know. And I keep referring to Park Predators a lot because I or Malcolm Gladwell because you know they're kind of doing journalism to a degree, but they're very passionate about it constantly yeah they immerse themselves in it and they're like this is so cool you could tell that they actually legitimately enjoy doing the research and talking about it phoebe judge does have a background in journalism and public radio specifically and i think she actually i i did a tiny bit of research she regularly does interviews for wunc or at least she did uh so i think that's where this all kind of started it was she started in radio public radio specifically as a journalist and then has kind of moved into broadcasting or podcasting as a kind of i think it started out probably as a side gig but i'm pretty sure it's most of what she does now because she has criminal she has another show called this is love and and it's kind of a play on because so the show is called criminal but whenever she introduces it and i love the way she almost always does this. They the, the way they edit the podcast, it just dives right into the story immediately. So it'll start with somebody else talking. It won't even be Phoebe necessarily. Sometimes it is, but 
Most of the time it's not. You'll get eight minutes into the episode, as far as eight minutes, I think even further sometimes, before you'll get the int- a little bit of music and then she'll kind of give a, a tease of the story and say, this is criminal. And that's sort of the intro. But that can happen 10, up to 10 minutes into the, to the episode. So you'll be listening and you're getting sort of a, a dive into the story, maybe even from the middle of the story. And then she'll tell you this is criminal and then she'll move into the actual like kind of beginning and give you the recap and and give you more of the context around whatever you already heard. I think This Is Love was spawned off of how she always says this is criminal, but This Is Love is actually the name of the show. So that's a separate one. We'll we'll surely do that one at some point. But it's kind of the antithesis to to, to criminal, which is obviously about crimes and, you know, negative things mostly. Not always. Not always. Things that can be involved in the criminal justice system might not always be negative. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But This Is Love is obviously a much more kind of positive, feel-good type of podcast versus criminal, which is true crime. But yeah, she's definitely a journalist. She comes across as a journalist. I really like the fact that it's not about her at all. She is there. She does help tell the story in some cases. But for the most part, she tries to let the characters in the story be the focus and be the ones talking and telling the story. And often, like you said, when she's doing an interview, she will cut out her asking the questions and just have that person talking. And she's one of those people who's very, very good at getting people to open up and talk. So she's not just a journalist, but a really good interviewer. You talked about the intro. You said that, you know, it is very brief. It's almost to the point, like when I was, uh, the first episode I was listening to, and there was kind of this weird uh, train that happened. I start off the episode, and it starts off immediately with a self-read ad, right? Even before they get into it, which for some reason that annoys me. I don't know why. It's like, I don't, I, I, that for some reason kind of annoys me more so than mid-roll ads. And, and I don't, I have no logical reason why. It's just that for some reason it is. But like I said, there's no intro and there's just a very quick preamble about the episode or some kind of introduction that's not like just a jingle or something, right? There's usually kind of like a, kind of like a hook, if you will, to the beginning of each episode. Speaking of like music and stuff, there is stuff, music, it's usually like transitional music and stuff like that. They don't, not really, I don't think there was really ambient, like, background noise and stuff that you may hear in some podcasts that are telling a story, but there is sometimes, like, transitional music to from one topic or another within that topic. Um, kind of circling back on the ads, halfway through the Max Headroom episode, which was the first episode I listened to, I paused it and I went to look at the show notes. I noticed, I was like, there's a ton of sponsors here, but I've only heard one ad so far. And then, I, I mean, we're talking, it's probably like 10 sponsors, so I went ahead and started listening to it again, and then there was a mid-rolled ad, and it was a big sponsor. It was two ads. It was like progressive, you know, and it's self-read too. So these are that kind of tells you how like how big her reaches of a podcast when you got like progressive coming up to you and wanting a self-read ad, and it was two ads. But then there's a third mid-roll ad, or the, a third, excuse, sorry, not mid, the third mid-roll ad. There, there's another, there's a second mid-roll ad. So you have a ad at the beginning. And then two ad breaks during a podcast. And the podcast is only 30 minutes. So it's almost like a television show. You're going to have as many commercial breaks in this podcast as you do in a television show. I feel like there's more of that recently uh, in the last year or so. I feel like it used to be maybe an ad up front and then maybe a mid-roll. I I feel like having two mid-roll ads might be new. I could be completely wrong. I will say that her ads are generally less than 30 seconds and there's usually only two per break i think the reason i don't find them irritating to have two breaks which normally i would because that's interrupting the flow of the podcast but she does a very good job and i don't know if it's just her it might be her producers and editors as well but they do a very good job of finding a really good place to to put the break so it doesn't interrupt the flow of the story awkwardly generally it's it's a good spot to pause and go to a break and generally it's like I said it's usually two it's like progressive and maybe sunbasket or hellofresh you know whatever other progressive is a big sponsor of theirs they've been a sponsor for a while now but they are generally short Phoebe reads them and like I said I think there's two per break yes some podcasts will have one break but it'll be like five or six ads piled together so you could argue it's a little more disruptive to have two mid-rolls, and I, I can see that. I think they're a little thoughtful about how they place them, generally to put them in a place in the story where it feels natural to have a break or maybe creates a little suspense. But yes, I, I would agree that for the volume of podcast you're getting, sometimes it feels a little bit ad-heavy, but I, I, I guess I don't feel... I don't feel it's as gross as some as some podcasts. I guess because she reads them, it's probably why. That is true. Like her, the ads are usually pretty quick, and it's like I said, it's her reading them, and you get through mm-hmm. it pretty quick. 
and they do like i said you know and to their credit that they do find kind of decent spots to put the ads in but it just kind of for some reason kind of chapped my rear end a little bit because it's only 30 minute podcast because i think it was um uh i'm trying to think of another podcast maybe it was no such thing as a fish uh where they have multiple ad breaks but their podcast is like over it's an hour or more longer Mm -hmm. so it doesn't feel as disruptive and this is somebody like me who hates television commercials like i just can't stand them Uh, that that's kind of i think maybe that's where that's kind of bleeding over into this i felt like more just like television commercials than anything else and of course, naturally, you know, it's just a scripted ad read. It's not anything interesting like you get with the uh, unmade podcast where they just kind of have fun with it. But to kind of go back to one of my previous points, one of the things I do like about this podcast and I, and I and I like about podcasts like these is sometimes a lot of podcasts try to create a community around their podcast where they want to talk to their fans at some point during the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's none of that with this. But what I found interesting was that apparently she had mentioned they do live shows, which they said they haven't done them in a while, obviously, because of COVID. And I guess it's kind of like My Favorite Murder, where they do stuff live. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you have any like insight into like what those are like. Yeah, so it's, I think it's part of the Radiotopia overall that they do that. So they have a live event. It might be once or twice a year. I can't remember the frequency. Obviously, all this is before COVID, where they'll have multiple shows there it's it's almost like a fest well festival is probably the wrong term but it's a live event and they'll do it across the country in multiple locations and it'll be you know roman mars from 99 percent invisible phoebe judge from criminal and this is love and you know, it'll be kind of the host of the big huge name podcast on the radiotopia network so it's not just a criminal live show but there will be a criminal live show within that event yeah i i do recall them advertising that um I haven't ever been, but I understand that it's got a lot there if you're interested or if you follow more than one of their podcasts. I'd say if you follow at least a couple of their podcasts, it's probably something that sounds interesting. But you're right. It's very much more of a, I think of something like Mythbusters. Towards the end of the life of the show Mythbusters, Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman would do these live tours where they would go and do live shows. There's no direct interaction with that community. I mean, there is now because Adam Savage has his his YouTube channel, his Tested Project, but there wasn't any direct interaction with that community from the TV show. But they had enough of a following to justify having a live show and it's interactive and everything. So I think it's more like that where it's almost like going to a concert of a band that you love versus something like My Favorite Murder where I think there's a lot more in-jokes and you're going to have a lot more catering to the culture around the podcast versus just a whole bunch of fans of this thing want to see it live. Yeah, and I would way prefer this podcast over my favorite murder because <laughs> simply for that reason, I don't have any history because I'm I'm new to it. I'm not going to go back and I don't want to spend half the podcast, you know, talking about talking to the community I'm not really a part of. Uh, I just want to listen to about true crime. So and with this podcast, I get that. And so that's what I really liked about this podcast because it is the kind of, it's like what what my favorite murder should be in my opinion is this podcast Mm -hmm. and i don't know which one's more popular i hope this one's more popular because i can't stand my favorite murder (laughs) um overall though i think it it is a good podcast the ads are kind of annoying but again it's not super intrusive like some podcasts have been especially if it's like an iHeartRadio podcast which you know and i know we're creating a moral dilemma for ourselves if we ever get approached by a sponsor <laughs> um which we may we'll become have what high, we hate or something we'll have high standards for how we read our ads we'll have to be very, i know right yeah. right well it's i, I can understand so the sponsor's probably gonna read us and be like well, we don't want to sponsor them they hate sponsors <laughs> it's not uh, true which is we not have, true we have not said true. that we fully support podcast monetizing themselves i personally the only ads i've ever hated are iheart ads because they're inserted commercials they have nothing to do with the podcast yes. they have no relevance to the the audience whereas something like this you know phoebe judge is reading it yes progressive that's a big huge company but you know i don't fault her for getting progressive to support her no. show and she does take the time to read the ads herself it's not a commercial that just got inserted by some corporate overlord you know network so right and, and the thing is about the whole ad situation yes there's multiple mid-roll ads and I, I would prefer just to be like one ad break. And to be honest, four ads in the middle, she gets through them quick. I probably wouldn't even have a note in here saying, yeah, there was one mid-roll ad, just, you know, FYI. Uh, but having two ad breaks for only 30 minutes, that seemed really just uh, uh, to me. And Or it's just one of those things where I would prefer that they would put all the ads at the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I am okay with that sort of thing. Like, have an intro saying, hey, this is our podcast, uh, but first let's talk about our sponsors, and then they do their sponsors, and then you get on the podcast, And which that's kind of what Joe Rogan does, right? Which my obligatory Joe Rogan reference. Uh, but it's like 15 minutes of ad Check. reads at the top of his podcast, which I think that's the reason why people liked his uh, content on YouTube, because you didn't have those ad reads. Well, and you could also, um, even if you're listening to it audio, you could just skip all of that. You could just right. barrel through the first 15 right. minutes with the fast forward button. So it's a little harder when it's split across multiple breaks. Right. And so I get the interruption to the podcast and I don't mind it as long as it's not iHeartRadio style type of thing. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like a 15 minute ad break in the middle of a podcast is a little <laughs> that's a little disconcerting. Again, it's like I have no problem monetizing it. More power to her if she's doing this as a career. I hope she's making great money doing it. And I fully support you know her being sponsored. It's just I wish they would rethink that and just either do one ad break or do it all at the beginning. That'd be my per- personal preference. Yeah, and I think with the volume of ads they have, it would be pretty easy for them to combine that into one ad break and it wouldn't be an issue. I think I think this is probably more of a, this is how it's done in public radio, is my guess. And that's probably why they're doing it that way. Because this format is, it feels very public radio. And generally, you don't go more than 10 minutes, if that, in public radio before you have your commercial break slash sponsor break or whatever. So I feel like that right. might be it. it. It's less of a uh, a decision about the format of the show and more of a, this is how we do it in public radio. That's just a guess. But yeah, well, I mean, but Sex with Emily is a, it, it's a pot, they, they call it a podcast. It's basically from the radio show. But that's a serious and they have XM. One... That's a satellite radio show, which is very different than public radio. Okay. So true. Very yeah. true. I'll give you that. Yeah. <clears throat> But I will say, you know, getting back to the content of the show, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of positives here. And I will say this podcast has probably made me cry more than any other podcast I've listened to, um, because Phoebe's very good at, at finding stories that, that are, she's very empathetic to and or will cause you to be empathetic to the person speaking. I think the one of the recent episodes was uh, called Sister Helen, which was about Sister Helen Prejean, who was the author of the book Dead Man Walking. And so since the 80s, she has been, uh, as a nun, has been basically the spiritual counselor for multiple people on death row, including witnessing them being executed. And it was an absolutely astounding episode. It's one of the longer episodes. I think it's like 42 minutes, which is pretty long for her. And 95% of that is just Sister Helen talking. Like Phoebe doesn't even bother she doesn't even have to ask a lot of questions and if she does she cuts them out and let just let sister helen talk so i think if you're diving into this podcast for the first time and you want kind of peak criminal that episode sister helen is a great one to start with because i think it really highlights the quality of the journalism happening here as well as when the character or the person that they're talking to is incredibly interesting just letting that person shine and letting them be the focus of the episode what is it like to think about the execution or to be with someone on death row, speak with them when you know they're guilty? And what is it like when you believe that they're innocent? Is it different for you? Well, here's the bedrock. Every human being is worth more than the worst thing they've ever done. Every human being. So um, when I'm with the guilty I'm very conscious of that. And recently, the Catholic Church, coming to that awareness after a long dialogue, that's the bedrock principle, the inviolable dignity of the human person. Innocent. There, the outrage is about our system and about the ignorance because people aren't awake to it, because people aren't close to it, because they don't see what it means for people to be executed. I'm with a man right now. I've been accompanying him on death row. Manuel Ortiz is his name. For 20 years, I've been, I take him one at a time. So he's lasted 20 years and they haven't killed him. And I've been with him. And he is innocent. And how do I know that? Because I have studied the case. I've seen the case. I know what happens when prosecutors have the power, have the evidence, can hide things. And, um, and he gives me a lot of courage. And so, but then I'm an advocate, see? When somebody's innocent, you got to fight for them. Do they need a good lawyer? Do they need to change lawyers? Do they need to get an expert witness? Do they need to get DNA tested? I'm right there by his side, not just simply visiting him. How is it, Manuel? I hope you're not having a bad day. But you're by their side, and you do whatever it takes 
for justice to be done and for the truth to come out. I think that's where this podcast really sets itself apart from most true crime because it feels to me like true crime as a podcast genre is mostly there for let's talk about these terrible crimes, you know, the shock value. It feeds off of that same, it's the same thing that makes all of the true crime stories on Netflix and all the documentaries super popular, right? It's like these are grisly, terrible crimes and we're all kind of fascinated by that. But I think one of the things about this podcast that sets it apart from other true crime podcasts is it kind of zeroes in on the the humanity and usually we'll focus on one maybe two people uh, involved in the story so it's a very narrow band of focus versus let's talk about this entire serial killer's history and their you know it's it's very different from other true crime podcasts i would say no and i agree with that it, it reminded me of park predators in that same way where yep. d'ambria was very good at communicating about the family, the victim, talking about the victim. You got to know the victim, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of podcasts where it's like, oh, let's just talk about the serial killers because they're crazy and it's crazy, you know, and it's delicious. Like you said, a lot of true crime podcasts are more about the spectacle as opposed to the events surrounding the spectacle. Yep. And I think she does a pretty good job of that. And, that. and that's kind of the whole Casper Wyoming thing. That's almost the whole entire premise of that case was why it stuck with these people for the murder happened in 73 i think and it's stuck how it stuck with everybody who was involved many decades later and it was really just kind of less about the murder itself but just more about the downstream effect of it i will say whenever i go do these kind of reviews uh, for especially for a new podcast i usually i my app podcast player has you know a list of all the episodes and i just kind of scroll through it, and it literally just it's just the episode and the link and that's it mm-hmm. you know the length and that's it I scrolled through and I look for episodes that might be interesting and I try to choose them randomly. And even the show notes themselves, the the summary of them, I find are still kind of lacking. It's, it was hard because the Max Headroom one, I, was, I already knew what that was. So I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to that because I, I, I know about that in- situation and I want to see how she reports on it because that's a very fascinating thing. But then I was looking for other ones and I was reading a lot of these and I was like, the summary doesn't really even give me in the show notes, give me a good idea of what it's about. So I just kind of randomly chose one as opposed to just trying to choose something that, you know, I found legitimately interesting. And the Casper Wyoming one, which she did a good job of exploring the the human side of things. It was, I hate to use the term forgettable in a way, but it wasn't very, it wasn't like a super exciting uh, episode, I guess. That wasn't, I think, the whole goal of it. The whole goal was it was this affected a lot of people and here's why, as opposed to some crazy, you know, excitable thing. So I I wish these show notes had a little bit more information in them, but it because the titles themselves don't really give you a whole idea of what it is. And then you go to read the summary and I'm like, well, I still don't know what it's fully going to be about. So I, I guess they just assume you're just going to listen to each new episode. Unlike some of the shows that we've talked about where the title is completely unrelated to the topic or is completely vague enough, you have no idea. I think most of these are, at least in hindsight, make sense. I mean, you have Sister Helen, the one I just talked about. You have Cannonball, which is about Cannonball Run. Max Hedrum incident. Clearwater Monster, which was about a monster hoax called the Clearwater Monster. Anybody from that area would, would be aware of it. I think it is relevant, at least. And the show notes will give you sort of a brief teaser more than anything, it's not going to tell you exactly what the podcast is about, but at least give you a bit of a teaser. And I think if you go to their website, you get a lot more detail. I think there's kind of write-ups of each episode. But yeah, it's not its not like a straight up, here's, here's everything you need to know about what's going to happen in this episode. Um, so I would say it's probably striking a pretty good balance there, at least in my, in my opinion. I like the fact that the episode names are at least relevant to the topic yep. versus just from some bantering section for 20 minutes before you get to the topic. Hello, My Favorite Murder. Again, again just proving that My Favorite Murder, this is what My Favorite Murder should be. <laughs> yes, I would agree. I do think this is one of the best true crime podcasts I've ever listened to. And it's very different from many of the others I've, I've listened to. And it's not that I find, it's not that I think every true crime podcast should be criminal. It should be this show. But I think it's one of the best. So clearly from a ratings perspective i love this podcast i don't hate it and i i think i've pretty much looking back on it i went back through my podcast but i don't think i've skipped any episodes since i started listening to it i might get a little behind but because they're shorter which is another kind of bonus if you skip ads you can get through one of these episodes mostly in 20 25 minutes max so it's kind of nice because it isn't 
I listen to a lot of podcasts that are very long form and it is kind of a relief to have some that aren't long form that I can get through pretty quick. So I find that as a plus. Yeah. And I was going to say, I mean, they've got a big back library of podcasts and that that is one of the bonuses that it's not, it's not a huge commitment, right? Like I said, even without the ads, it's around 20 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes at most. It's great. You can take it in small digestible bites, especially if you're going back to the back catalog. And I will say that overall too, and one thing I meant to mention is that I found that the pacing is really good as well in this. Like there's in a lot of in a lot of these in the episodes I listen to at least, there's kind of that build up of tension leading up to whatever the event is, and uh, there's just a really good storytelling element in here uh, that they're able to put this together in a in a really well paced way to where you're like oh i wonder what's going to happen next mm-hmm. um so it's not super dry in that regard even though i say that you know yes she's kind of reading this like a, a radio host or like a news journalist or something overall though the pacing of the actual storytelling is very good although i will admit that the max headroom episode uh and, and that's you know, just spoil alert they never solved that case mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty famous i'm sure a lot of people already know about it but they're kind of building up to here's the theories of who it might be and they kind of get into that and then they end it saying but it was never solved the end (laughs) it's like oh okay just that was it it was like such a drop off yeah it was almost kind of like anticlimactic in a weird sort of way but i mean i guess you know it's it's well you know it was never solved and i think what's the fun what's so much fun about that story is the speculation Right. Like, that's why I think they spend so much time on it. That's the fun part is like, who would do this? Like, it's such a bizarre thing to do. So I think that's a lot of what was going on there. And I think that's why they were just like, yeah, it was never solved. Because the fun part is the the speculation. (laughs) Right. And she did mention, like, there's a subreddit for it, which, of course, naturally there is. Of (laughs) Of course. These detective Internet sleuths trying to still solve the Max Headroom incident to this day. (laughs) And I'm sure there's probably one for the Zodiac Killer, too. But. Oh, of course. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I don't I don't hate the podcast. I, I it Out of the true crime podcasts we've listened to, this is definitely one of the better ones. And I, I will keep it on my radar. I will keep subscribed to it. Uh, and if I find time, I'll cram it in some episodes here and there when I can. And I will just recommend the episode. Uh, I know I recommended Sister Helen. I think Cannonball was a recent one that was really good about the Cannonball run. So because it's technically a criminal activity, but it's a really fun episode. So one for one for the listening list if you're going to go check it out. So the next podcast we'll be reviewing today is The Babylon Bee. And I'm sure most people are aware of Babylon Bee as occasionally some of their stories go viral with people thinking it's a real news story. So if you're familiar with The Onion, you kind of get a general idea of what the Babylon Bee is. But it's kind of got more of a conservative, Christian, satirical website. Although I think that's not... They're kind of equal opportunity offenders uh, in all reality. But they have a podcast called The Babylon Bee. And the host of the podcast is the editor-in-chief, Kyle Mann, and the writer-creative director, Ethan Nicole. And the the official description of the podcast is, this is the official, authoritative, inspired podcast of the Babylon Bee. Join editor-in-chief Kyle Mann and writer-creative director Ethan Nicole for a look at weekly highlights discussing the spiciest topics of the times, the stories behind the stories, and a behind-the-scenes look at the inner workings of America's most trusted source for Christian news satire. And that's kind of where they started off was, they're not big fans of, like, the prosperity gospel uh, types, the Joel Osteens of the world, and that's kind of where they got their initial fame was making a lot of jokes about Joel Osteen and... Uh, and printing them off as news articles. And they kind of expanded out from that to cover politics, culture, pretty much anything that's topical at the moment. So they have, and their podcast is, if you're familiar with Babylon B, then you're going to be kind of familiar with the content of the podcast. They have kind of a different, sometimes they have interview episodes where it's just all interviews. And then they have like a typical podcast uh, with a, spe- a specific format that they usually follow. Uh, and they also share the podcast of there's a video element to the podcast on YouTube and their show notes will have, you know, all the links and everything that you need uh, that they talk about. And episodes are usually between 30 minutes over an hour. I've been listening to them for a little while. The only reason why I started listening to them, because I, I knew the Babylon B they're kind of snarky and, and they can get a little spicy at times. I mean, it's uh <laughs> they've gotten trouble for some of the things. Uh, but the, I only started listening to him only because I saw that Michael Malice, which I'm a big Michael Malice fan because he's insane. 
um, was <laughs> one of their earliest guests. And from that point, I've been sort of keeping up with it. I don't listen to every episode religiously, but I do listen to it. So what what's your take on it? I think this is all new for you. Oh, yeah, this is really all new for me. I had heard of the Babylon Bee, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I knew it was a satire publication like The Onion, right? So they would publish stories that weren't true because I had seen them shared here and there. But I didn't know anything about... I. Kind of an idiot, I guess. I didn't recognize the fact that the name sort of reveals that this is a sort of Christian-based satire. And honestly, I think if you weren't aware of that, you might not. It might not be obvious. Maybe listen to the podcast, but if you look at their site, it's very much like the Onion. I think they do take the Mickey a little more out of the left than they do the right. But to your point, there's definitely some articles on there making fun of the right as well. I think everything's sort of fair game, and it doesn't feel super super targeted. But they definitely. I think they definitely have fun with sort of the extreme left and some of the craziness that results from the extreme left uh, and having fun with that from a satire perspective. So I had not heard, I didn't even know that they had a podcast, but I did listen to a couple episodes. I didn't listen to the any of the interview episodes. So the three formats that I see happening currently in their feed is interview episodes, they're kind of regular episodes where they go through stories of the week and weird news. And it's basically just a reason to laugh at whatever's going on in the news. And then they have a series they're doing right now where they, they're, it's like a book club where they're reading Lord of the Rings and just kind of talking about it, cracking jokes, being funny. Because I, th- I would say both of these guys are pretty funny. <laughs> their podcast is interesting, their regular format, because they don't have a studio audience or anything, but there's one guy and I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's their editor or whatever, but he laughs hilariously at almost everything they say. <laughs> and it does actually add a little bit to the podcast because he's sort of in the distance. You can just sort of hear him laughing, but he's clearly very easily amused. I mean, not to say that they aren't funny, but it's almost like, and I think they even jokingly call him their laugh track. I don't even know who it is. It's just some guy that you hear every now and then laughing when they're telling stories or making jokes. But it is very much humor first versus news first. This isn't a news podcast. This is a humor podcast. And I have to admit, there was several times in the couple of episodes I listened to where I was definitely laughing, including when they were doing the Lord of the Rings read. Uh, well, not read. They're not reading the book on the podcast, but they're discussing the chapters that they read that that particular week or whatever. And they are funny. I'm not going to lie. They, I definitely cracked up several times. They did a segment on one of the episodes where they were like, where I don't remember what the segment was called, but it was basically where satire becomes truth, where they would take an episode of the Babylon or something from the Babylon Bee website, an article, which was a satire article, and then find, and there's a news story that almost is just as bad or is is really close to that or if not completely that. We're like, you know, that prediction came true. <laughs> that was pretty entertaining. So from a production quality standpoint, I found it to be pretty good. I think the exception is the episodes where they're doing the Lord of the Rings book club thing. That sounds like they're wearing masks and calling in on a Zoom call. It's really bad, the audio quality. But the rest of the episodes, like the regular ones, they sound just fine. So it's pretty professional in terms of the level of the production quality. But yeah, I, I found it I found it amusing. Uh, I definitely think if you are uptight about politics, either side, you probably are going to struggle with this one a little bit if you can't laugh at the absurdities on either side of the aisle. I think this one t- does tend to, like I said, make a little more fun of the left side of the aisle than the right, but I do they've done both in the two episodes I've listened to. So I think they're somewhat fair and balanced in that respect, but it's satire, and so the primary goal is to make people laugh, and I found most of it pretty funny. So that's, that's my first impression. Like I said, I only listened to a couple of episodes, though. Yeah, the, and the sense of humor they have is pretty dry. A lot of their jokes are very dry humor. It's uh, it, and I think it's Kyle who can really pull out some really good, especially in the interview episodes. He does a really good job of asking ridiculous questions that the interview interviewee is not expecting, and it's usually <laughs> pretty funny. I do like the interview episodes because it's it's not like a like, like one of the recent interviews was Abigail Schreier, which uh, she's written a book that's very controversial uh, to say the least. And it's kind of like a long form discussion that they have in the interview episodes. It's almost like they're not taking it seriously, but they kind of are, though. It's kind of hard to describe. And it is they are pretty funny. I think they're funnier in the interview episodes because they can play off their guests uh, really well than they are just like in their typical episode. And that's just my I I prefer to be honest, I prefer the interview episodes over the regular episodes because they do have some pretty decent guests on. 
and like you said they they are equal opportunity they take you know they punch at both sides um i will say that i didn't listen to any interview episodes and i need to go back and find a few i think the most recent two were people i'd never heard of so i was like "Eh, okay i'll just you know focus on the main i wanted to get the main kind of guts of the show and and what they do they are a little bit on the regular show they are a little bit just a little bit morning zoo you know with some sound effects and as they go into each segment, it's like, now here's some news that's weird and they'll play a screaming goat or whatever, you know. So there's a little bit of that in their regular uh, series or their regular format, I should say, which I'm not crazy about, but whatever. It's fine. It's a comedy podcast. I think the writing and the and, and the natural kind of humor between the two of them, because I think what the stuff that's really funny is the stuff that's not scripted, um, which is one of the reasons the whole them reading The Lord of the Rings has been kind of entertaining because they... They went off on a whole tangent about Farmer Maggot because they were on the (laughs) shortcut to Mushrooms episode. And like they spent a long time talking about his name and how that was just the worst name you could possibly have. And they're like, well, maybe it's Farmer Mago. And so they kept calling him (laughs) Farmer Mago through. So they're just very funny. I think kind of naturally funny. I found it highly entertaining. Again, the audio quality was terrible on that episode. I am tempted just even if I only listen to the Lord of the Rings read that they're doing. It's it's pretty entertaining. So I think, like I said, if you're not too uptight about your politics and you can't laugh at both sides, or if you can you can laugh at both sides fairly, it's worth checking out because they are very funny. A lot of people don't realize that, that there is actually a website called Not the Babylon Bee. I believe that's the name of it. And it's actually run by the Babylon Bee. And... And this kind of circles back to your point where they were saying, okay, here's a story we had a couple of years ago and it's now come true. <laughs> um, but they actually have uh, this website, not the Babylon Bee, which highlights crazy stories that you would think would be on the Babylon Bee, but it's actually true stories. And that kind of goes into, you know, the regular format, which is they start off the episodes with like, you know, the good stuff that's going on, uh, usually about what's going on in their lives and stuff. And it's not so much like a bantering thing, and it doesn't last very long, right? Because again, I'm not a big fan of the banter between hosts or whatever. But then they have the section where they talk about weird news stories. And it's not satirical. I mean, they're talking about it and cracking jokes about these stories, but they're not satirical stories. They're actual real stories of just weird stuff that happened. And then they'll talk about the satirical stories that have appeared within the week. And I guess maybe it's the more successful episodes, or uh, sorry, uh, the more successful articles they've had that week. And they kind of give context around that. So, for example, uh, Skynet could do whatever it wants. Or actually, the episode (laughs) was Not My President and Skynet could do whatever it wants. It was kind of talking about, you know, the whole, the context around it was because of things that Twitter was doing and being Twitter. Because sometimes I think some of those stories, you read it and it's just, you're like, okay, I don't know. Yes, it's satire, but it isn't always immediately clear what is driving the satire. And so... Listening to the podcast kind of gives you a good idea because they kind of go into the context of that. And, and then they do uh, a topic of the week, which is, you know, sometimes it's something topical culturally or something uh, politically, but whatever it is, it is topical for the week. And they also have a hate mail section. I don't know if they do the hate mail section every episode, uh, but I know. Yes. If, okay, yeah, they do. So and that's usually pretty funny because, again, a lot of people don't realize that it's satire. It's, again, like the onion, whereas I guess you can almost say the onions kind of like the left's version of Babylon Bee, because the Onion is kind of woke. And then you got the Babylon mm-hmm. Bee. And they do have, you can subscribe to them. I, I know this much. You can get a subscription. I think it's more so to the Babylon Bee as a whole. But there is like behind the scenes stuff that I think you get with the podcast. Uh, I, I don't know fully what the the subscription perks are. But when you go in the show notes, there's sections there for, uh, I guess you could say like premium content. And mm-hmm. uh, you have to be signed in to get access to that. So, but the, I've, I don't think I've ever heard them kind of schlep it on the show. There's no ads at all. So obviously they're just funded by the Babylon Bees. So I, I guess they don't have to run ads and they're not really part of any specific network. They're just part of the Babylon Bee. So I don't know what all you get being a premium member to them through the Babylon Bee, but apparently you get some kind of perks. Yeah, and I think it's subscribers to the Babylon Bee. So I think if you're subscribed to the overall site, which I'm guessing gets you ad-free content as well as additional content probably on the site, but you also get additional content with the podcast. And they'll even give you like a little preview of some of the stuff that it, that happens in that segment that you can't hear unless you're a subscriber. I was just reading up there. <laughs> they do cause a lot of confusion, the Babylon Bee. I was reading a New York Times article, actually. It was it, it seemed itself seemed a bit confused about what they are because for, a, you know, especially early on in Trump's presidency, they got a lot of traction making fun of Trump and 
I, I do think they are kind of fairly, even though they're considered a right-wing satire side, I, I do think they take both sides very not seriously. But the hilarious thing is, is that they get fact-checked more often than something like The Onion because some of their satire is, and even The New York Times says some of their satire articles are, are sort of close enough to reality to cause confusion, which I thought was, that's a really good sign of excellent satire. If you can get close enough to, to reality to cause confusion, but still be ridiculous, I think that's a sign of the times we're in. But I, I got to give them credit. I think they're they're pretty sharp and funny, not just in the podcast, but in general with their, I think that probably extends. Again, I, I wasn't really familiar with the Babylon Bee prior to going into research for this particular show. So I don't think I quite understood what exactly they were. And I think it's a little more nuanced than just saying it's a right wing satire site because it does seem to, from some of the coverage I've seen both from left and right wing publications, including the New York Times, it looks a little bit like nobody's really sure what they are. <laughs> but I, I do think just looking at some of their headlines, they are pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. And having heard on that one episode you were talking about, I think the Skynet could do whatever it wants. There was some really great satire stories that they had done in the past that were very close to true stories happening around around the election time this past fall. So I have to admit it was pretty entertaining. So I yeah, I think uh, from the perspective of a new listener who's never really listened to this podcast, I I gotta say, I got a, I got a big kick out of it. And I do want to listen to a few more episodes for sure, at least to get a feel for if this is something I want to subscribe to. Well, it's funny you talk about the fact checking thing, because they've gotten in trouble from Twitter and from Facebook multiple times for a lot of posts they make. And they're just posting like their articles. And they'll be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's fake news. And they take them down. And they're like, we, you guys know we're a satirical website. You know, the onion doesn't even get treated this badly. And, uh, and that's the thing is that there is definitely a bias in the media against the Babylon Bee that the onion never gets. Because the onion, it goes viral, you know, this crazy story. And people are like, oh, that's funny. But when Babylon Bee goes viral, they're, they're getting censored. There's actually, and they have like this ongoing war with Snopes. Like they are, <laughs> Snopes is the, or no, it's probably better to say that they are, like Batman and Joker, Babylon B is Joker and Snopes is Batman. That's like the relationship between <laughs> these two websites. Like one of the articles was that they said that uh, Jeff Zucker of CNN, the guy who runs CNN, bought a giant washing machine so they could spin the news before they put it on air. And Snopes actually wrote an article saying this is false. <laughs> oh my like, God. What? Really? <laughs> So uh, it, they're it. So they've been button heads for a long time. I think there's even been some lawsuits. Um, I think I'd have to go back That's and look, hilarious. but th- there has been lawsuits between the two because they've just been just going at each other. Um, <laughs> and but the, that see, that's the, that's the crazy thing though is that they highlight just the ridiculousness of just politics and culture in general. It, like they they don't really punt. They, they they will punch both sides. But it's interesting seeing how, because they are a they are a Christian organization, even though they do attack ridiculousness that comes out of you know certain areas of religion. But even then, they the media just they hate the Babylon Bee <laughs> because I think Babylon Bee is showing crazy clickbait titles, you know, thumbnails, all this kind of stuff, and they kind of ramp it up to the extreme. To show, it's almost like showing like the hypocrisy of the current news media, right? Because it's all about getting those clicks, you know, with clickbait. It's almost like I feel like the media in general sees the Babylon Bee is like them looking in a mirror, and they see the Babylon Bee, and they're offended by it. Yeah, oh, and they're very offended <laughs> by it. The the thing that I find entertaining is that the the whole concept of fact checking a a satire article, like I can't believe that Facebook and some of these other tech companies haven't come up with something that says, hey, this is a satire. This is not real. As opposed to, this has been fact-checked and isn't true. Of course it's not true. It's satire. I think it'd be easier if they just had like a satire label. They just slapped on anything that was satire because there's a lot of it out there. It's not just the Babylon Bee and the Onion. There's other... There's other publications, I'm sure, smaller blogs, things that make fun of what's going on in general. I think it almost kind of delegitimizes the whole fact-checking culture if they're wasting their time fact-checking satire publications. Like it's just, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and, and I think that's another big thing, too, is because you'll see, like, PolitiFact and Politico and Snopes and stuff, and they do their fact-checking, and they'll say, this is mostly false. When it's like, Trump today said that the, uh, I'll, I'll try to think of, like, an arbitrary example. They'll be like, you know, Trump's today said that this curtain was blue, and they're like, no, that's mostly false. He said it was blue. 
And so <laughs> it's uh, or Trump said the curtain was red and it was actually blue. And that's 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 why it's mostly false. And Babylon B just loves to kind of poke fun at that. And that's kind of the genius of it. I think there's kind of a bigger cultural statement that they're making uh, in a more broad sense about just the current media climate in general. And mm-hmm. it's kind of exposing just how ridiculous the media is, especially when you have like sites like not not the Babylon Bee, where it's like you can't believe that this stuff is actually real. <laughs> and the thing is, the, it, the podcast is not overly political. I mean, a lot of the stories may have politics in it, but they themselves don't feel political when they're talking about them. Yeah, I would say, I mean, like the most recent episode I listened to, I'd say when they were doing, and this isn't official because I didn't count them, but when they were doing the satire articles they did that became, that have come true in some form, probably 60 to 70% of them were making fun of the left. And then the other 30% was probably making fun of the right. Like one of them was about Trump, you know, not wanting to leave the White House, or Trump will only leave the White House. I don't know, it was something about trial by combat, I think it was. Trump will only leave if he loses trial by combat or something like that. And then there actually was a story about Rudy Giuliani making a comment about that. He was obviously, I think, joking, I guess. I don't know. I don't know the context of it. But he technically did say, we demand trial by combat. So they were like, this is great. You know, so what's funny is that they get hate mail. And it's hilarious because a lot of it is from Christians. (laughs) I guess because they're advertised as a Christian organization, I think there are sort of a a very super uber conservative, not conservative in the political sense, but religiously conservative people who find some of their humor offensive because they don't they don't come across sounding particularly religious. You know, I, I in listening to the episode, I wouldn't have known it was a Christian organization until I started doing some research in the episode and then also listen to their hate mail because in their hate mail section somebody like you call yourselves christians but you talked about blah 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 i don't know what it was i don't even remember but so i think they actually live in a world where they're getting sort of they 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 offend some of their their constituents not constituents but their readers or subscribers who are there because hey finally an organization that's christian that i can support or whatever and then on the they're obviously getting hit by people on the left who are like you can't make fun of the left it's not allowed and i i do feel like and it it goes to support something i've noticed in general which is that most people in the center and or i would say who are center right and even some center left are much more okay with being made fun of than people on the extreme left or the extreme right. Like the people on the extremes are the ones that really can't tolerate being made fun of. And they're the ones that are the easiest to make fun of. So I think people who are uber sensitive about either side are probably not going to be happy with the Babylon Bee and their podcast. But I think for everybody else, I think you can find some entertainment value here because it is funny. And some of their stuff's well-written and hilarious, regardless of which side they're making fun of. Well, and that's the thing. It's like they actually started off. It was like, and I had mentioned this earlier, was a satire around like the whole prosperity gospel thing. And so, because, you know, that stuff is kind of ridiculous. And, and actually, one of their articles uh, from 2017, there was all those floods in Houston. Uh, they had a headline, Joel Osteen sails luxury yacht through flooded Houston to pass out copies of Your Best Life Now. <laughs> <laughs> And again, people thought that was actually real. And CNN like actually reported like, no, we confirmed, his, you know, he, Joel Steen was not in the area. <laughs> so, um, that's great. Yeah. So they, and that's things like, yeah, some of their, a lot of their hate mail is that way. And, and to be honest, and again, I don't feel like they talk about religion a lot. It comes up occasionally. I think uh, one of the recent episodes they were talking about, they were, I guess they had a debate on apologetics or something and they'd gotten some hate mail of someone who thought they were smarter than them essentially oh yes i did hear that one yeah 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 it makes me think of uh now steven crowder which i i am not a fan of steven crowder right i don't think he's funny at all but he does have a series of episodes from his show uh, i wouldn't really call it a podcast but it's debating religion and because he's a very religious guy and sometimes in babylon b they get into those kind of debates and whatnot but it's never super in depth but again, if you find that kind of stuff interesting, then you might find that interesting. So yeah, I didn't hear much. I, I do remember that that piece of the hate mail where they were talking about, oh no, the so and so is with the conservative, and I don't even remember what the story was. But yeah, I don't remember. It was an episode I hadn't listened to, so I didn't quite get the full context of the hate mail. But it was, it was. I mean, they did discuss it for a little bit, trying to break down what the heck they were actually saying in the letter. And it's funny because the hate mail doesn't strike me as a. Let's read our hate mail and make fun of these people. Although occasionally it is that. But sometimes it is trying to understand what exactly the person took issue with and and saying, okay, that's cool. You know, so uh, 
I always appreciate that when, especially when you get into these kind of publications that are either news related or whatever, if they're willing to listen and, and just podcasts in general, I guess, if they're willing to actually engage with the people who have things to complain about to some extent, I always appreciate that. Even if it is to to kind of jokingly poke fun at it, it's it's great because it, it means they're, they're reading it. Somebody's reading it. And so that's always a good sign, I think, um, when podcasts actually read the correspondence from their listeners, even when it's not positive. Yeah. And I think uh, they kind of take that the fact that they do get hit mail, uh, hate mail as a badge of honor to a degree yeah. so and they decide to capitalize on it but you know as far as reviews go i i don't hate the podcast uh, I, i'm not a like i don't listen to it every week i usually just kind of keep an eye usually if there's like news heavy weeks uh where crazy stuff is happening typically i'll i'll check them out then just to see what what kind of crazy articles have come out of it and uh, it helps kind of lighten the mood of some more of the dire uh, news weeks i guess you could say but yeah i don't hate it uh i, I don't listen to it religiously pun intended but it's definitely I, I think it's something worth checking out and again like kind of like you said if you're very sensitive politically like if you can't take a joke you don't have a sense of humor about politics then don't listen to it if you're on the right and you don't have a sense of humor about politics and you're on the left and you don't have this sense of humor, don't listen to it because they're going to you're going to offend those people no matter which side are on. I, I definitely think it's uh, it's worth a call out again. If, you, if you're sensitive to that stuff, just don't even bother because you're just going to stress yourself out. I'm not. And I actually really enjoyed it. I think I will definitely subscribe to it. I don't hate it. I'll subscribe to it in the sense of I want to have it in my feed so I can keep an eye on it. I probably, like you said, I won't listen to every episode because I don't have a lot of extra room for new podcasts, but I think this one has enough value and enough entertainment factor that especially if it's a rough week and I just want something to laugh at, this is definitely one that I would queue up to listen to. Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details.